Section 15 of Our National Parks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Our National Parks by John Muir. Chapter 8, Part 1. The Fountains and Streams of the Yosemite National Park. Come, let's to the fields, the meads and the mountains. The forests invite us, the streams and the fountains. Carlyle, Translations, Volume 3. The joyful, songful streams of the Sierra are among the most famous and interesting in the world, and draw the admiring traveler on and on through their wonderful canyons year after year, unwearied. After long wanderings with them, tracing them to their fountains, learning their history and the forms they take in their wild works and ways throughout the different seasons of the year, we may then view them together in one magnificent show, outspread over all the range like embroidery, their silvery branches interlacing on a thousand mountains, singing their way home to the sea. The small rills, with hard roads to travel, dropping from ledge to ledge, pool to pool, like chains of sweet-toned bells slipping gently over beds of pebbles and sand resting in lakes shining spangling shimmering lapping the shores with whispering ripples and shaking overleaning bushes and grass the larger streams and rivers in the canyons displaying noble purity and beauty with ungovernable energy rushing down smooth inclines in wide foamy sheets fold over fold springing up here and there in magnificent whirls scattering crisp clashing spray for the sunbeams to iris bursting with hoarse reverberating roar through rugged gorges and boulder dams booming in falls gliding glancing with cool soothing murmuring through long forested reaches richly embowered filling the grand canyons with glorious song and giving life to all the landscape the present rivers of the sierra are still young and have made but little mark as yet on the grand canyons prepared for them by the ancient glaciers only a very short geological time ago they all lay buried beneath the glaciers they drained singing in low smothered or silvery ringing tones in crystal channels while the summer weather melted the ice and snow of the surface or gave showers at first only in warm weather was any part of these buried rivers displayed in the light of day for as soon as frost prevailed the surface rills vanished though the streams beneath the ice and in the body of it flowed on all the year when toward the close of the glacial period the ice mantle began to shrink and recede from the lowlands the lower portion of the rivers were developed issuing from cave-like openings on the melting margin and growing longer as the ice withdrew while for many a century the tributaries and upper portions of the trunks remained covered in the fullness of time these also were set free in the sunshine to take their places in the newborn landscapes each tributary with its smaller branches being gradually developed like the main trunks as the climactic changes went on at first all of them were muddy with glacial detritus and they became clear only after the glaciers they drained had receded beyond lake basins in which the sediments were dropped this early history is clearly explained by the present rivers of the southeastern alaska of those draining glaciers that discharge into arms of the sea 
only the rills on the surface of the ice and upboiling eddying turbid currents in the tide water in front of the terminal ice wall are visible where glaciers in the first stage of decadence have receded from the shore short sections of the trunks of the rivers that are to take their places may be seen rushing out from caverns and tunnels in the melting front rough roaring detritus-laden torrents foaming and tumbling over outspread terminal moraines to the sea perhaps without a single bush or flower to brighten their raw shifting banks again in some of the warmer canyons and valleys from which the trunk glaciers have been melted the main trunks of the rivers are well developed and their banks planted with fine forests while their upper branches lying high on the snowy mountains are still buried beneath shrinking residual glaciers illustrating every state of development from icy darkness to light and from muddiness to crystal clearness now that the hard grinding sculpture work of the glacial period is done the whole bright band of sierra rivers run clear all the year except when the snow is melting fast in the warm spring weather and during extraordinary winter floods and the heavy thunderstorms of summer called cloud bursts even then they are not muddy above the foothill mining region unless the moraines have been loosened and the vegetation destroyed by sheep for the rocks of the upper basins are clean and the most able streams find but little to carry save the spoils of the forests trees branches flakes of bark cones leaves pollen dust etc with scales of mica sand grains and boulders which are rolling along the bottom of the steep parts of the main channels short sections of a few of the highest tributaries leading in glaciers are of course turbid with finely ground rock mud but this is dropped in the first lakes they enter on the northern part of the range mantled with porous fissured volcanic rocks the fountain waters sink and flow below the surface for considerable distances groping their way in the dark like the draining streams of glaciers and at last bursting forth in big generous springs filtered and cool and exquisitely clear some of the largest look like lakes their waters welling straight up from the bottom of deep rock basins in quiet massive volume giving rise to young rivers others issue from horizontal clefts in sheer bluffs with loud tumultuous roaring that may be heard half a mile or more magnificent examples of these great northern spring fountains twenty or thirty feet deep and ten to nearly a hundred yards wide abound on the main branches of the feather pitt mcleod and fall rivers the springs of the yosemite park and the high sierra in general though many times more numerous are comparatively small oozing from moraines and snowbanks and thin flat irregular currents which remain on the surface or near it the rocks of the south half of the range being mostly flawless impervious granite and since granite is but slightly soluble the streams are particularly pure nevertheless though they are all clear and in the upper and main central forests delightfully lively and cool they vary somewhat in color and taste as well as temperature on account of differences however slight in exposure and in the rocks and vegetation with which they come in contact some are more exposed than others to winds and sunshine in their falls and thin plume-like cascades 
the amount of dashing mixing and airing the waters of each receive varies considerably and there is always more or less variety in the kind and quantity of the vegetation they flow through and in time they lie in shady or sunny lakes and bogs fountain snow on the high sierras mount lyle group the water of one of the branches of the north fork of owens river near the southeastern boundary of the park at an elevation of ninety five hundred feet above the sea is the best i ever found it is not only delightfully cool and bright but brisk sparkling exhilarating and so positively delicious to the taste that a party of friends i led to it twenty-five years ago still praise it and refer to it as that wonderful champagne water though comparatively the finest wine is a coarse and vulgar drink the party camped about a week in a pine grove on the edge of a little round sedgy meadow through which the stream ran bank full and drank its icy water on frosty mornings before breakfast and at night about as eagerly as in the heat of the day lying down and taking massy draughts directly from the brimming flood lest the touch of a cup might disturb its celestial flavor on one of my excursions i took pains to trace this stream to its head springs it is mostly derived from snow that lies in heavy drifts and avalanche heaps on or near the axis of the range it flows first in flat sheets over coarse sand or shingle derived from a granite ridge and the metamorphic slates of red mountain then gathering its many small branches it runs through beds of moraine material and a series of lakelets and meadows and frosty juicy bogs bordered with heathworts and linked together by short bouldery reaches below these growing strong with tribute drawn from many a snowy fountain on either side the glad stream goes dashing and swirling through clumps of the white-barked pine and tangled willow and alder thickets enriched by the fragrant herbaceous vegetation usually found about them and just above the level camp meadow it is chafed and churned and beaten white over and over again in crossing a talus of big earthquake boulders giving it a very thorough airing but to what the peculiar and definable excellence of this water is due i don't know for other streams and adjacent canyons are aired in about the same way and draw traces of minerals and plant essences from similar sources the best mineral water yet discovered in the park flows from the tuolumne soda springs on the north side of the big meadow mountaineers like it and ascribe every healing virtue to it but in no way can any of these waters be compared with the owens river champagne it is a curious fact that the waters of some of the sierra lakes and streams are invisible or nearly so under certain weather conditions this is noticed by mountaineers hunters and prospectors wide awake sharp-eyed observers little likely to be fooled by fine whims one of these mountain men whom i had nursed while a broken leg was mending always gratefully reported the wonders he found one returning from a trip on the headwaters of the tuolumne he came running eagerly crying muir i found the queerest lake in the mountains it's high up where nothing grows and when it's shiny you can't see it and you walk right into it as if there was nothing there the first you know of that lake you are in it the waters of illilouette creek are nearly invisible in the autumn 
so that in following the channel, jumping from boulder to boulder after a shower, you will frequently drag your feet in the apparently surfaceless pools. Excepting a few low warm slopes, fountain snow usually covers all the Yosemite Park from November to December to May, most of it until June or July, while on the coolest parts of the north slopes of the mountains, at a height of eleven or thirteen thousand feet, it is perpetual. It seldom lies at a greater depth than two or three feet on the lower margin, ten feet over the mill-forested region, or fifteen to twenty in the shadowy canyons and cirques among the peaks of the summit, except where it is drifted, or piled in avalanche heaps at the foot of long, converging slopes to form perennial fountains. The first crop of snow crystals that whitens the mountains and refreshes the streams usually falls in September or October, in the midst of charming Indian summer weather, often while goldenrods and gentians are in their prime. But these Indian summer snows, like some of the late ones that bury the June gardens, vanish in a day or two, and garden work goes on with accelerated speed. The grand winter storms that load the mountains with enduring fountain snow seldom set in before the end of November. The fertile clouds descending glide about and hover in brooding silence, as if thoughtfully examining the forests and streams with reference to the work before them. Then small flakes or single crystals appear, glinting and swirling in zigzags and spirals, and soon the thronging feathery masses fill the sky and make darkness like night, hurrying wandering mountaineers to their winter quarters. The first fall is usually about two or four feet deep. Then, with intervals of bright weather, not very cold, storm succeeds storm, heaping snow on snow, until from thirty to fifty or sixty feet has fallen. But on account of heavy settling and compacting, and the waste from evaporation and melting, the depth in the middle region, as stated above, rarely exceeds ten feet. Evaporation never wholly ceases, even in the coldest weather, and the sunshine between storms melts the surface more or less. Waste from melting also goes on at the bottom from summer heat stored in the rocks, as is shown by the rise of the streams after the first general storm, and their steady sustained flow all winter. In the deep sugar-pine and silver-fir woods, up to a height of eight thousand feet, most of the snow lies where it falls, in one smooth universal fountain, until set free in the streams. But in the lighter forests of the two-leaved pine and on the bleak slopes above the timber-line, there is much wild drifting during storms accompanied by high winds, and for a day or two after they have fallen, when the temperature is low, and the snow dry and dusty. Then the trees, bending in the darkening blast, roar like feeding lines. The frozen lakes are buried. So also are the streams, which now flow in dark tunnels, as if another glacial period had come. On high ridges, where the winds have a free sweep, magnificent overcurling cornices are formed, which, with the avalanche piles, last as fountains almost all summer and when an exceptionally high wind is blowing from the north, the snow, rolled, drifted, and ground to dust, is driven up the converging northern slopes of the peaks and sent flying for miles in the form of bright wavering banners, displayed in wonderful clearness and beauty against the sky. The greatest storms, however, 
are usually followed by a deep peculiar silence especially profound and solemn in the forests and the noble trees stand hushed and motionless as if under a spell until the morning sunbeams begin to sift through their laden spires there the snow shifting and falling from the top branches strikes the lower ones in succession and dislodges bossy masses all the way down thus each tree is enveloped in a hollow conical avalanche of fairy fineness silvery white irised on the outside while the relieved branches spring up and wave with startling effect in the general stillness as if moving of their own volition these beautiful tree avalanches hundreds of which may be seen falling at once on the mornings after storms pile their snow in raised rings around corresponding hollows beneath the trees making the forest mantle somewhat irregular but without greatly influencing its duration and the flow of the streams the large storm avalanches are most abundant on the summit peaks of the range they descend the broad steep slopes as well as narrow gorges and couloirs with grand roaring and booming and glide in graceful curves out on the glaciers they so bountifully feed down in the main canyons of the middle region broad masses are launched over the brows of cliffs three or four thousand feet high which worn to dust by friction and falling so far through the air oftentimes hang for a minute or two in front of the tremendous precipices like gauzy half-transparent veils gloriously beautiful when the sun is shining through them most of the canyon avalanches however flow in regular channels like the cascades of tributary streams when the snow first gives way on the upper slopes of their basins a dull muffled rush and rumble is heard which increasing with heavy deliberation seems to draw rapidly nearer with appalling intensity of tone presently the wild floods come in sight bounding out over bosses and sheer places leaping from bench to bench spreading and narrowing and throwing off clouds of whirling diamond dust like a majestic foamy cataract compared with cascades and falls avalanches are short-lived and the sharp clashing sounds so common in dashing water are usually wanting but in their deep thunder tones and pearly purple-tinged whiteness and in dress gait gestures and general behavior they are much alike besides these common storm avalanches there are two other kinds the annual and the century which still further enrich the scenery though their influence on fountains is comparatively small annual avalanches are composed of heavy compacted snow which has been subjected to frequent alternations of frost and thaw they are developed on canyon and mountain sides the greater number of them at elevations of from nine to ten thousand feet where the slopes are so inclined that the dry snows of winter accumulate and hold fast until the spring thaws sap their foundations and make them slippery then away in grand style go the ponderous icy masses adorned with crystalline spray without any cloudy snow dust some of the largest descending more than a mile with even sustained energy and directness like thunderbolts the grand century avalanches that mow wide swaths through the upper forests occur on shady mountainsides about ten to twelve thousand feet high where under ordinary conditions the snow accumulated from winter to winter lies at rest for many years 
allowing trees fifty to a hundred feet high to grow undisturbed on the slopes below them on their way through the forests they usually make a clean sweep stripping off the soil as well as the trees clearing paths two or three hundred yards wide from the timber line to the glacial meadows and piling the uprooted trees head downward in windrows along the sides like lateral moraines sears and broken branches on the standing trees bordering the gaps record the side depth of the overwhelming flood and when we come to count the annual wood rings of the uprooted trees we learn that some of these colossal avalanches occur only once in about a century or even at still wider intervals few mountaineers go far enough during the snowy months to see many avalanches and fewer still know the thrilling exhilaration of riding on them in all my wild mountaineering i have enjoyed only one avalanche ride and the start was so sudden and the end came so soon i thought but little of the danger that goes with this sort of travel though one thinks fast at such times one calm bright morning in yosemite after a hearty storm had given three or four feet of fresh snow to the mountains being eager to see as many avalanches as possible and gain wide views of the park and forests arrayed in their new robes before the sunshine had time to change or rearrange them i set out early to climb by a side canyon to the top of a commanding ridge a little over three thousand feet above the valley on account of the looseness of the snow that blocked the canyon i knew the climb would be trying and estimated it might require three or four hours but it proved far more difficult than i had foreseen most of the way i sank waist-deep in some places almost out of sight and after spending the day to within half an hour of sundown in this loose baffling snow-work i was still several hundred feet below the summit then my hopes were reduced to getting up in time for the sunset and a quick sparkling home-going beneath the stars but i was not to get top views of any sort that day for deep trampling near the canyon head where the snow was strained started an avalanche and i was swished back down the foot of the canyon as if by enchantment the plodding wallowing ascent of about a mile had taken all day the undoing descent perhaps a minute when the snow suddenly gave way i instinctively threw myself on my back and spread my arms to try to keep from sinking fortunately though the grade of the canyon was steep it was not interrupted by step levels or precipices big enough to cause outbounding or free plunging on no part of the rush was i buried i was only moderately embedded on the surface or a little below it and covered with a hissing back screaming veil of dusty snow particles and as the whole mass beneath or about me joined in the flight i felt no friction though tossed here and there and lurched from side to side and when the torrent swedged and came to rest i found myself on top of the crumpled pile without a single bruise or scar hawthorne says that steam has spiritualized travel notwithstanding the smoke friction smells and clatter of boat and rail riding this flight in a milky way of snow flowers was the most spiritual of all my travels and after many years the mere thought of it is still an exhilaration in the spring after all the avalanches are down and the snow is melting fast it is glorious to hear the streams sing out on the mountains 
every fountain swelling countless rills hurry together to the rivers at the call of the sun beginning to run and sing soon after sunrise increasing until toward sundown then gradually failing through the cold frosty hours of the night thus the volume of the upper rivers even in flood time is nearly doubled during the day rising and falling as regularly as the tides of the sea at the height of the flood in the warmest june weather they seem fairly to shout for joy and clash their upleaping waters together like clapping of hands racing down the canyons with white manes flying in glorious exuberance of strength compelling huge sleeping boulders to wake up and join in the dance and song to swell their chorus then the plants are also in flood the hidden sap singing into leaf and flower responding as faithfully to the call of the sun as the streams from the snow gathering along the outspread roots like rails in their channels on the mountains rushing up the stems of herb and tree swirling in their myriad cells like streams and potholes spreading along the branches and breaking into foamy bloom while fragrance like a finer music rises and flows with the winds. End of section 15